Hello and welcome to 101 George Street, the podcast from Mowbray, Scotland's National Centre for Children's Literature and Storytelling. My name is John Malloy and on this week's episode I will be talking to actor and first-time children's author Tony McGeever. At the height of the 2020 Covid lockdown, Tony wrote and published the book Oh Mummy, Why Can't I Go Out and Play? featuring the plight of a young puppy stuck indoors, not fully understanding why he can't leave the house and play. The book seeks to explain the issues of lockdown and the pandemic to young children in a fun and accessible way. It is a non-profit project with all royalties going towards helping vulnerable children around the world impacted by the COVID pandemic. Tony, what's your favourite children's story and why? Um, I love it actually how you've sort of worded that what's like what's your favorite story um because as a kid um I couldn't read I couldn't write and to a degree I couldn't speak because I had a stutter and uh so my early years growing up uh was quite difficult in terms of schooling uh because I'm a sort of 80s kid so I was kind of at the end of sort of the iron guard uh sort of schooling system Mm. where uh, dyslexia wasn't really talked about that much or even put into <laughs> the form of teaching. You know, uh, you were just stuck in groups uh, to read of different abilities. So I had a real, real struggle during schooling. Um, and if it wasn't for my wider family, who um, obviously sort of discovered or knew that, you know, something was wrong, um, like my my parents really, you know, they were uh, really supportive. So they were the ones trying to find alternative routes of how to educate me or even how to tell simple, amazing stories to me. So in terms of storytelling, unfortunately, it didn't come through the form of reading. Mm. It came through mostly like visual aspects, um, be it uh, television programs, films. So some of sort of the wider well-known uh, sort of children's authors, such as Roald Dahl, let's just say, mm. I first discovered them not via books. It was via cartoons and television programs, and mm. which was great for me because it, it was like a visual feast. And I was like, oh, my God, who's created this? You know, and then later on, oh, it's actually come from a book. Um, and similar to... Uh, like let's say Jay and Barry, Peter Pan, you know, uh, like through play form, because it was originally a play, you know, mm. from the book. And it's it's sort of through those aspects, those this is where I learned storytelling. You know, like my brother would sit me down in front of Star Wars and go, you've got to watch this. To me, it's the best story ever. My sister would sit me down and say, this is my storytelling. And so I had an array of different mediums coming to me to tell my favorite stories. Um, but I'm not just saying this because I'm on this podcast. My favorite story is Peter Pan uh, <laughs> for a number of reasons. But I think, you know, just the whole aspect and the whole moral of it, you know, just to never grow up. And me being a 30, coming up for 37 now, I've, I haven't grown up. <laughs> I'm an actor. I, you know, I prance around on stage or in front of the screen. I write crazy stories. I'm always creative. And I think that impact of that story has shaped me mm. more than just a story of who I am today. And I had some crazy notion that, well, my granny is a Barry. 
So there is uh, a, a lineage link uh, to him. Mm. And my dad's called Michael. So every time I was reading the story, I thought, oh, my God, that's my dad. Mm. That's my dad when he was a little baby, you know. So it's that that story really stuck to me, you know, and I loved flying. I love mm. comic books. I'm a massive comic book fan. So when these people could fly, I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> It's always interesting to talk to someone who who is dyslexic and who grew up with dyslexia, particularly during that late 80s, early 90s phase where dyslexia wasn't, it was still a matter of contention within education circles about whether or not it existed or not. So like you say, the old guards had a tendency to think that you were... Um, I, I mean, I, I got difficult I, I, sometimes. <laughs> yeah, I, I got I got his, his eyesight needed checking. Um, they thought I, I needed glasses. I got um, it's his ears. He, he just he needs to sit next to you know closer to the uh, the teacher. They uh, were still trying to figure out what this thing was. And it's always interesting to talk to people around about that time, the late eighties, early nineties, um, because their experiences with accessing stories and English and English literature is slightly different. And it's interesting that you you mentioned the fact that you know you were being taught by the old the Iron Guards. I think it is what how you described it. Yeah, it felt um, like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and you were, you felt like you know maybe you were kind of battling um, to access these stories, but it sounds like you very much did access that, and you've accessed the joyous storytelling because you went into theatre. Yes, you know, uh, and again, I think it, it's sort of sort of a result of that, you know, of I am a product, I'm a result of that, mm. of you know, fortunately in a good way. You know, uh, but I do know that there are others out there from that sort of early, you know, late eighties, nineties, and even before mm. uh, that. That's not been the case, and they've gone into other vocations, and they've really, really struggled. And uh, just because the early years teaching just wasn't there for them, the building blocks, the base, um, mm. and and I remember like my my mum and per- uh, my mum, my dad, and family. They were, you know, they were throwing a lot of money at me you know to sort of catch me up uh, mm. as much as possible and I remember a gentleman coming around to the house uh, with like a suitcase and a suit and tie you know to sit down in front of me and he was like I know what's wrong and but he, but he told it in, in a way that I understood so that was something different you know it just wasn't someone speaking to me you know your son has a problem it, he was like what's happened is now, this was actually later on. This was sort of when I was getting into high school. Mm. You know, they were saying the problem why Tony's struggling, you know, with his academics, you know, is, is, is because his early years are completely missing the building blocks. But we knew that back then. And mm. you can't reverse time. It's you've got to you've got to deal with the now and the present. So I think that's why early on I made a conscious decision that, right, if I'm going to survive in this world, mm. you know, as much as I would love to be a lawyer, because I love to speak, I learned, you know, uh, you know, or a doctor or any of these amazing vacations that you, that I've seen in the film and television world, it's not going to happen, Tony. You know, the 14-year-old the Tony knew that early on. Mm. But one thing that I could do and I learned was I literally involved myself in these other mediums to entertain myself to tell my own stories that mm. this is this has to be the way this is what I have to go on and do was there a moment when when the world of books was opened up to you yeah um 
obviously, can I go back? You know, there was I went to a library. There was this reading club where you you picked up a book, you read it, and then mm. you went back and asked questions on it. I just blagged the questions because I couldn't read them, and it was like, what color was the door? So I was mm. like, red. <laughs> you know, I was potluck, and you got a star. Uh, but then I didn't like that because there was other people like my peers who were, you know, who could read really, really well. And they were, they had like 12 stars and I only had two and mm. I didn't like that. But going the moment that, you know, I really, really fell in uh, with words and literature and it was high school, you know, I was fortunate again. My my mom and dad worked really, really hard and put all my money in and they, they put me into private school because they knew that I needed as much attention as possible. So I went to a school called Stuart's Melville College or Daniel Stuart's in Edinburgh and the English department there was just incredible. Mm. Uh, like real passionate teachers who loved, who really loved what they were doing and um, had fantastic teachers. And then it was just literally the syllable. It was um, The Great Gatsby. Mm. And I was reading that and there's a scene in The Great Gatsby where they're talking about his shirts, like really crisply folded. And for the first time, even though it wasn't, you know, children's literature, it was adult literature. But again, I could see the visuals of it. And I was like, this is incredible. Adult books aren't boring. (laughs) They're just full of visuals, just like a kid, you know, and I was like, I wanted those shirts. I wanted that room that he had. You know, I wanted that life that the great mm. Gatsby It is again, a form of, it's a form of to escape, mm. you know, escapism mm. and that and uh, catcher in the rye holding Caulfield, the fact that he wanted, so it was like me, I was sitting in the school and I wanted to get out of school and escape. And these mm. two stories were kind of escapism it's a very common experience for people with dyslexia or any kind of learning um, disability or difficulty there's often a moment where it clicks and it can be different things it could be suddenly they they can actually read certain words which in the past they might have to skip over or suddenly they were they're able to visualize the actual words themselves but there's always that moment and it's like boom a major earth shattering moment has happened mm. and it's, it's it's a profound moment and it's always interesting to talk to people with similar experiences um, and it's brilliant that you did that let's talk a little bit about your book I'm, I'm interested why you decided to write the book i think it's got a really strong story and the reasonings why you sat down and thought, right, we're going to do this. Yeah, like I've always been a writer, but it's the writing to me has always been, I suppose, my diary in a way. Uh, I write for myself, uh, be it screenplays, stage plays, uh, but I've never really written a book or like a or a children's story. Um, and obviously it was... Uh, lockdown 1.0 and um and i live in london now and i normally don't really have the chance you know or time unfortunately uh to get back to see my young nephews and niece Mm. and and i was sitting there going i've kind of got a gift you know i'm the the funny uncle and then you know i'm the uncle who's an actor in theater and i'm the one who should be you know creating you know you know if i don't have an audience you know if i can't uh you know go on stage in the west end because it's all shut down you know i've actually got family they can be my audience you know um and i could see 
really, really quickly on that they couldn't understand literally the title of the book, why they weren't allowed to go out and do the things they were allowed to do before. Mm. And be that, you know, run down the street, go and play with their friends, uh, go to birthday parties. And and you try sit down and you can't explain the science to them. You just mm. can't. We struggle with it, but mm. we sit there and watch Boris Johnson's, you know, talks and the experts and we go, okay, we understand why, what's going on. Mm. You know, we may not like it, but we understand what we have to do. Mm. Children don't understand. All, all they see and all they hear is their mum or dad saying no. And and then they go, why? And then you try to explain and they just don't get it. So initially this was a short story for them to softly understand through the eyes of a dog why the dog wasn't allowed to go out and play in the pandemic. Um, and then a few friends read it who I was staying with. They're going, Tony, there's something really in, you know, <laughs> They said, this is really good. And a fellow friend who was living with us, Faiz. Now, I didn't know, again, we're talking about hidden t- talents and uh, Faiz is a fantastic actor as well. I didn't know that he could draw. Mm. And he showed me some drawings. I was like, you are a beautiful, beautiful uh, illustrator. He was like, let me draw some pictures to go for your nephews and niece to go with the story. And the mm. pictures that he drew, again, talking about that visualization, to me, those those pictures hit, hit, hit to me more than my writing mm. because they told so much more than the actual writing. And then we knew that we had something on our hands that, that we could um, help in some way much bigger than just tell my, my nephews a story uh, or two. And so we decided to go ahead to a Kickstarter campaign and and we raised the money to publish the book. Um, and so what the book is, Oh Mummy, Why Can't I Go Out and Play? It, it, it's a story of, uh, of a dog uh, literally struggling. You know, the dog wants to go out and do these amazing adventures. You know, he wants to run in fields, fight dragons with giant gun rays, things like that. And mm. And then he slowly understands why he's not allowed to go out at the moment, but there is hope at the end of the book, you know, uh, as we are starting to see the light at the end of the tunnel. What was very heartwarming, and I I know this because obviously um, for the podcast, I've interviewed quite a few people during the lockdown and the first lockdown was that although the lockdown was hugely um, detrimental to a lot of the arts and the creative industries. And I was speaking to a, a, a theatre director called Steve Brennan in one of my podcasts previously. He said that it was also the catalyst for a lot of creative thinking. And a lot of people decided, okay, we're stuck in home. And there's obviously a lot of issues here, emerging issues. This is very new to all of us. And they were able, as artists, as creative people, to apply their creativity and apply their artistry to these issues to create things as a way for other people to interpret what was happening around them. Did you find that was the case with you? You were stuck at home, you were in lockdown, you were obviously um, separated from your family. Did you find, I need to I need to do something here, there's something that I need to do? Yeah, I think I always need to do it. I can't sit still, mm. uh, just, just due to my own mental health. Um, and but I also will say, and I also understand that it's okay not to be active during lockdown. You know, it's it is for some people, and it isn't. And just because you're not creating these amazing things, you know, that's okay to do that. You know, 
but I just so happened to be that I can't do that. I need to do something. And yeah, I did find the case, you know, because I was sitting there and I was like, okay, what's, because I was meant to go on stage. Uh, mm. I, I was meant to be at the Chichester Festival and I literally got cast. I did the audition on the Wednesday, got cast on the Friday and then lockdown happened on the Monday. And it's, that was just all gone in front of me. And mm. I think as a creative, if you're a writer, actor, you know, you, you need to sort of, exercise that muscle as much as possible and sitting down it just it just it's just not good for me so I had to I had to be creative you know and 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 I was really lucky because the place I was staying at um it's it was a very creative hub everyone was doing short movies and it was like it it was like drama school all over again Mm. so it's how we interpret the world um, if you if you are a creative individual, you, you're going to be creative. Um, but at the same time, it, it, particularly during the first lockdown where everything was new, the, the COVID and this disease was a complete unknown to everyone. I remember on television, people advising people to take the shoes off if they've gone for a walk. When they come into the house, you should take your shoes off. And there was all sorts of kind of information flying around. Mm. It was confusing. But what creative people can do is yeah, interpret what was happening and distill it and create things that hopefully can benefit the rest of the community. I'm really interested in the manner of which you funded this project uh, because it's it's a new, comparatively new form of funding publishing, um, and it's a very modern form of doing that. Could you describe the Kickstarter process? Yeah, definitely. Um, obviously, there's, you know, a lot of uh, platforms out there in terms of, uh, you know, brand names uh, but kickstarter was the one that we were able to do now straight off the back unfortunately is as amazing as these platforms are unfortunately they can't raise money for charity mm. uh, for various technical and legal reasons uh, however if there is a set product that you have uh, and unfortunately, you know, it's sometimes when you start to do these things, you do have to rip the heart out of the, you know, be it, you know, a theater piece or film or piece of literature that it does become at the end of the day, a product, you know, mm. um, and we said, look, all money, we want to go to save the children, helping uh, kids in the UK, mm. um, which again, this, this pandemic has highlighted that, and I did not 4.1 million children live in poverty in the UK in 2021, like are really struggling, especially mm. with homeschooling. And we've seen the whole free school meals campaign, etc. Um, so, yeah, so, it, it, you know, it's, we sat down and we were like, if we're going to do this, we're going to do it properly. So we created, uh, my friend was a cinematographer and he shot this incredible sort of video kickstarter campaign mm. uh video and and it was literally just laying the truth out and and it really connected to people you know uh and we're and it's fantastic because we already had the images we already had the book ready to go so we we could show the people the images we could show the reason why we're doing it um you know for the children in yemen and in the uk mm. and people really were like and it was it was families it was parents going i need this now for my kids uh, because as there was and there still is there's nothing really out there to you know and this is why the the, the teachers at early early uh, schooling and teachers at high school are you know they're doing a fantastic job because not only they're trying to educate they're trying to sort of teach this new world to the kids of what's going on and mm-hmm. 
there's just a lack of material for this new world that we live in. Absolutely. I was chatting to Joan Haig, who's an author, um, whose book, Tiger Skin Rug, um, it was um, nominated for this year's Carnegie Medal. And uh, she's also an editor and she's a passionate champion for small independent publishers. And what she was saying was the big publishers are fantastic. They're absolutely great. They put out some amazing work. They've got a huge reach. But when something happens that is immediate and unknown and quite earth-shattering. The, the benefits that the small publishers have or independent publishers or self-publishers is that they're able to react to a situation very quickly and they're able to turn around something very, very quickly. And again, one of the things that I'm interested about with this crowdsourcing approach to publishing is that you were able to go, right, okay, COVID's happened, lockdown's happened, let's do something. And you were able to use new technology. And for a lot of people, it is new technology, unknown technology, dare I say millennial technology. And you were able to use that to produce something very quickly with a quick turnaround so that you can address this issue, the lockdown, in a very timely way. Yeah, definitely. Like, obviously, I had to learn quite quickly because I've never published a book. I don't have a PR company behind me. So I, I knew it had to be a self-publishing company who did it and so I was looking at that but then I also had to look at the end business as well side of it because mm. at the end of the day we wanted efficiency maximum amount of the money going to the charity um, so I was able to find a publishing uh, company there's thousands of them uh, but we were UK book publishing and they were like do you have the images we're like yes and you know it, it the upfront costs are quite costly you know, to especially a self-publisher. But again, we were in a fortunate position that, you know, we had the money there to do that. And and at the end of it, it is quite an easy process. You just pay the money up front, you know, and, and it's fantastic if you have, you know, an artist to be able to do the drugs. However, they're able to supply that for you, you know, at a cost as well. And there's a typesetter who'll do everything for you. And they literally just send you sort of you know are you happy with this and the first one was amazing I couldn't believe it you know and uh, and it's literally you know in a couple of weeks it's done now the biggest thing that I learned and I learned this off someone else who did do a similar thing uh, but it was quite detrimental to to sort of the business side of it is the whole printing aspect of it mm. uh, now you've got print per copy or print by demand and I will 100% say, and I recommend this, if you are going to self-publish, do pay the extra money and do print by demand due to a lot of reasons. Uh, but there was a story of a fantastic family. Uh, I won't say any names, uh, but uh, their child, unfortunately, had cancer. Mm. And so the dad wrote this fantastic book to explain to his younger children what was going on with their older sibling and what the future was going to be like. Um, and again, they had a fantastic Kickstarter campaign. They got the money, they got to the process, but what they decided to do, uh, they I think they bought like a thousand books. Mm. Uh, so they did print on copy. So they had a thousand books wait, waiting in the garage, but then they had to go and pack it themselves, go down to the post office, send it to the person who asked on Facebook for a copy. Mm. 
let the big guns do it all for you, do print by demand. So you literally click to buy the book. That goes to a computer. The printer turns on, prints the copy, mm. the computer packages it, and it gets sent to the person who's bought it. And it is Amazon. You know, if you do it, Amazon are the big guns now. They mm. literally run the whole show. It's always useful for our listeners to know that there is options out there, uh, particularly... We obviously get quite a lot of listeners who are interested in publishing and even going down the traditional route or to self-publish. And there's an array of options out there. There's an array of different kind of possibilities and different methods of producing your book and getting it published. And it's always interesting to hear one person's experience of that process, particularly, again, because you went down the Kickstarter route or mm-hmm. a crowdsourcing um, route. With regards to the book, because I love it, I think it's great. But for the listeners at home, tell me a little bit about the story. Yeah, so literally um, the story is uh, told through the eyes of a dog and and the dog himself is trying to understand the pandemic, you know, uh, he's trying to understand the world that he now lives in. Mm. He's trying to understand the pandemic and why he literally can't go out for walks, why he can't go out and run and play. Now his life is usually, usually jam-packed full of adventures. You know, he... You know, when he's out, you know, running around, he thinks that he's chasing dragons and things mm. like this. Uh, so it's basically the dog is telling uh, each day, you know, oh, why can't he go out and chase aliens and dragons? You mm. know, why can't he, you know, run after his favorite ball? Why can't he play in the sand? Why can't he do this? Why can't he do this? And then he, then one day he understands why he's not allowed to go out and play because unfortunately, uh, grandma is sick. Mm. Uh, and he hopes that she's okay. And due to the NHS and their amazing work that, you know, it is a happy ending mm. at the end. So, uh, but it, it's um, the book itself uh, is in sort of form of rhyming mm. I've used. Uh, but one of the main things about the book, I wanted the book to be tactile. You know, mm. uh, I want, I want kids to have ownership of their book. Mm. So uh, they get to put their name in it. They get to name their dog. So mm. you can name the their main character, whatever dog they want. It's also coloring in books so they can rip it up. They can color it. And then again, it kind of goes back to, again, my experience, you know, the whole J.M. Barry, you know, Peter Pan thing, you know, uh, in theaters, children aren't allowed to laugh or mm. act to theater. And he wanted kids to laugh and smile and react to theater. And I think I think it still sort of is around today, even with books, you know, uh, you'll buy a book for your kid and you want it to be nice and clean and pristine and, you mm. know, to look as if it's when you first bought it. I want kids to make this book muddy. I want them to rip mm. it up. I want them to just take pure ownership uh, off this book and, and I think it's an important thing that you can give to your child mm-hmm. is a sense of responsibility mm. and ownership at a very young age I think it's an important lesson to give them that power absolutely and, and for some young people it's how they access the story by claiming ownership of the actual book itself by being able to draw in it by being able to add a bit of their personality to the actual book itself the, the physical book again it's how they access it so again, for myself and the listeners at home, if I wanted to purchase this book because it's for a fantastic course, how would I go about doing that? Yeah, so uh, All Mummy, uh, Why Can't I Go Out and Play is available on Amazon. And All Money, uh, like you said, goes to uh, helping vulnerable children here in the UK. 
uh, for free school meals, uh, helping uh, with homeschooling, and also children in Yemen uh, who are struggling uh, due to the pandemic and unfortunately the civil war uh, that's happening over there. And again, you know, uh, talk about self-publishing, you know, when you self-publish, you don't have a massive PR company behind you. So this is all by word of mouth and social media to get the word out there. Okay, you've produced one book. Uh, what are the next steps? It would be great, you know, that Oh Mummy could end up being a series of books, you know. Uh, we So we'll see how well this one goes. And it would be good if we could tackle dif- difficult questions for children via this sort of uh, medium that we've created of Oh Mummy. Um, so that's a possibility. In terms of myself, you know, I'm always creative, you know, uh, as an actor. <laughs> so uh, working on a current film at the moment. So hopefully I'll have some uh, good news uh, next year. So, uh, yeah, I always put pen to paper. Absolutely. Well, we look forward to any further projects down the line. Please keep us updated and posted. Uh, again, I think the book is fantastic. I think the actual the message behind the book is really important and timely at the moment. And of course, with all proceeds going to charity, I think it's a really wonderful cause to get behind. So, so yeah, looking forward to hearing more about it. Fantastic. Thank you. Well, that's your lot, folks. My thanks to Tony McGeever, the author of Oh Mummy, Why Can't We Go Outside and Play, available on Amazon and illustrated by Fayez Bakish. Until next time, stay safe and stay creative. <laughs>